This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 134. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Chris Fox. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you about your old novels, the ones you published long ago and aren't sure what to do with. Well, the answer is to relaunch them. Yes, there is still life and money, potentially a lot of money, in that story you wrote long ago and far away. And to help us with this subject is a special guest, best-selling author in both fiction and nonfiction, entrepreneur, and from what his friends say, all-round decent guy, Chris Fox. By day, he's an iPhone developer architecting the app used to scope Stephen Colbert's ear. And by night, I can't believe he's revealing this to us, but by night, he is Batman. So, Chris, welcome to the Novel Marketing <laughs> Podcast. My secret is out. <laughs> it, it is out. And, oh, it's so funny, Chris, because I, I have this other business called the Rubart Writing Academy that I do with my son. And this last weekend, we did a, uh, a four-day uh, academy for folks. And the host of it gave me a fidget spinner with the Batman logo on it. So I'm thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> All right, so let's jump right in. Uh, I love this topic because a lot of people, their early books weren't as good as they thought they were. Uh, so people, you know, their first book is a masterpiece. And as they learn something, launching a few more books, they realize that improvements can be made, but they often don't know exactly what improvements can be made. In fact, we actually had a uh, one of our patrons in our special patron Q&A episode asked specifically about this. She's like, I've written 60 books and my first one was not very good. What should I do? And uh, I was like, well, actually, we're going to have Chris Fox on the show. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Why should somebody consider relaunching their book? Well, there are a few different reasons you could consider relaunching a book. The number one is that you're not getting the results and sales that you're, you're after, either because you launched it and it did extremely well, but that was three or four years ago, or you launched it to a whimper and, and your book didn't go anywhere and you know eight people bought a copy and, and now you're wondering what to do. Um, your novel on Amazon is tied to what's called an ASIN number. And when you relaunch your book, you can often get a new ASIN number. So as far as Amazon's concerned, even though it's the same book, They'll treat it like a new product, which means that they'll promote it differently. They'll tell a lot more people about it. So it sort of gives you um, a second chance at discoverability that, that maybe you're lacking if the book's been sitting around for a while. And uh, your reviews can be uh, start over as well. Is that right? Where you can start fresh. It's like being reborn without any of that old baggage. Very much so. The, the choice is sort of yours. So uh, by default, if you unpublish a book and then republish under a different ASIN, you're going to lose all those reviews. Um, if you're really attached to the reviews, what you can do is contact Amazon and say, hey, listen, this is a new edition of the same book. And in some cases, they'll attach those reviews. So I have seen people that were able to salvage them, but that's not a guarantee. It's sort of a, you know, you have to go hat in hand to Amazon and, and see if they'll help you. So, Chris, you talk in your book, Relaunch Your Novel, Breathe Life Into Your Backlist, about the different levels of relaunch. So it's not like this is the one way to do it. There's different levels, which involve different amounts of time and different um, amounts of money. Can you kind of go over those those levels for us? Sure. So it, it ranges from, um, should you even relaunch this book? That's the first question you need to ask, because the answer may not be yes. If the novel was really poorly written, um, if all of your marketing material uh, is terrible, if that book is in a different genre than what you're writing now, it might not make sense to relaunch it at all. And so first you start with kind of an assessment of it as to whether or not it is worth it. And if it is, then you start looking at how much 
do I have in terms of time and resources uh, necessary to devote to this? Is it something as simple as maybe I could afford to get a new cover and redo the blurb and you know, maybe set up some promotion and call it a day? Or do you need to do what I call the, the $6 million relaunch where you're lining up several thousand dollars in promotion, you are talking to every author that owes you a favor anywhere and asking them to promote this book. Uh, you know, you're, you're sort of wallpapering the free world. So that's kind of the, the broad spectrum from very little all the way on up to, you know, you're, you're pulling off all the stops. And you'd be surprised how effective gesture changing the cover can be. I know authors that uh, launched excellent books with terrible covers, including actually traditionally published authors. So Brandon Sanderson, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but when he did his Mistborn series, which some people think are his best books, they had absolutely terrible covers and they had subpar sales like his publisher was really disappointed that his Mistborn books were selling worse than his books before that even though they were better books and he eventually after I think six years was able to convince his publisher to slap some better covers on those books and sales have revived I was uh, I was part of the target audience so I refused to buy his books because his covers were atrocious and I just wouldn't even pick them up and then he wrote for the wheel of time and he finished that up and I gave them a chance but because of that cover art I didn't didn't discover his books until they actually fixed the covers. Now they're great. But man, if you go back then, they were atrocious. Yeah, the same happened for me. I read all of his books, but the Mistborn books. And I assumed, oh, these must be terrible books because the covers are so bad. And uh, it wasn't until I'd read all of Wheel of Time books, the same story. <laughs> so it, 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 I imagine that there's probably tens of thousands of other nerds like us who read fantasy books that they just didn't feel like fantasy books. And, and t- tell us a little bit about that, about how do you know if your cover is a good cover or a bad? cover? Well, really, you're, you're looking for branding. Um, and, and that branding has to match the audience expectations. So it's really helpful if you're part of that audience, like we are obviously um, science fiction and fantasy readers, we're, we're our own target audience. So we know what looks good to us, you you need to kind of do the same thing if you're not part of that genre. So say, you know, you wake up one day and decide you, you want to write westerns or, or clean romance. Um, you have to go research those genres, you need to go find books that are currently selling, look at the covers, um, and see who's holding the number one spot, the number two spot, and 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 kind of see if you can pick up patterns um, of what people are using on the covers. Does it take real artwork? Can you get away with you know hiring a model and and using them as as the basis for your covers? Um, really, that's going to be dictated by the other books in your genre and what's currently kind of holding the top spots on Amazon. But Chris, my book is unique snowflake. Shouldn't my cover be unique and unlike any of the other uh, covers in my genre? <laughs> um, I, I did that the first time around. I think most authors do where we want to look for something that's going to differentiate our book. And unfortunately, a lot of us succeed. And the problem is, as a reader, you're looking for a certain emotional experience. So I, I try to use uh, TV as an example, since that's like the common language, even amongst writers. Um, when you're thinking about a TV show, if you look at it, you're looking for a certain genre. Like if, if you're into science fiction and you see the cover of The Expanse, hey, look, there's a spaceship. Maybe I'm going to want to see that. But if the expanse had uh, showed maybe on the cover like a molecule, like the proto molecule from the show, um, then far fewer people, I think, would have been interested because they wouldn't even know when this is a show set in space. So you sort of have to explain to the reader what your book is about visually before they're ever going to even read the title or, or click to look at the blurb. So speaking of the blurb, that becomes such a critical part of it. You know, we say, okay. The cover, a great cover, gets you to the blurb. But if the blurb doesn't get you to at least peek at that first sentence or that first paragraph, you're in trouble. So talk to us a little bit about the critical element of back cover copy. 
you probably have uh, five words and in some cases less to get the interest of your reader. If they read the first four words and they hear something that is a trope that they don't like. So for example, um, they think it's a science fiction from the cover and they hear thriller in the first line of that blurb, they've already checked out and they're looking at another book. So you have to kind of know what those people are expecting and you've got to intrigue them. Um, and the way that I do this, since it's very difficult to know, is I test through advertising. So I'll usually set up a pre-order window for one of my books and I'll run a bunch of Facebook ads for a 99 cent pre-order trying to get people to sign up. I, I know that I'm going to take a loss on this, but I'll run maybe a dozen ads all with different taglines and all with different blurbs to see what works in the audience. And inevitably, I'll see, okay, these two are getting a much lower cost per click and are, are performing much better. And so then I'll build all of my marketing copy around those successful ads because I know that's what people are actually clicking on. And I use this process for uh, my most recent series, The Magitech Chronicles, uh, and the first book made it into the top 100 of all of Amazon. I, I really want to underline this because I have been advocating for this for years and almost no one does it, of actually using science uh, and experimentation to see what works. I was at a writer's conference and I was just in the audience and a um, marketing executive at one of the top publishers, I won't say who, uh, I suggested this as a way you know, to test covers and to, and to test blurbs. So I was mostly talking about testing covers of Facebook ads and his eyes went wide, like he'd never even thought of this before. And this is one of those things that <laughs> as an indie, you can outmaneuver uh, the marketing teams of traditional publishers because they're not this savvy. They are not testing. They send it to a committee of people inside the company. And if people inside your company don't know what genre your book is, if you're writing in a genre that you know isn't what they're used to publishing, they may have no idea, and they may be testing it and sending it to totally the wrong audience, or if they're testing it at all, which is very, very unlikely. It, it surprises me how easy the testing actually is. So I spend, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes a day when I'm working on my ads, um, and I'm just modifying audiences based on what I think people's interests are. Like, oh, I wonder if people who like, you know, the Marvel's uh, Avengers movies would would like my stuff. Um, and I'm constantly mixing things up and trying new audiences. And you're just looking to see what works and what doesn't. And if, if it doesn't work, you turn it off. And I guess the only barrier of, of entry for most authors is, is the cost associated with advertising. But if you keep um, the dollar amount you're willing to spend daily low, you can very affordably kind of figure out which audience is into your stuff. And that it can... <laughs> that small investment can return, you know, huge numbers if you tap into that right audience. And th there's another trick is if you have a number of novels out, go to your five-star reviews and take a look at the language that your readers are saying, this is what it's about. This, this, the, the, they will often give you copy that you can modify, or you go to other bestsellers in your genre. You go, oh, this is what's resonating with people. This is what I need to tell them my novel is like to, to attract them. Yeah, I, I would recommend that if, if you have one-star reviews and you're writing any sort of comedic genre, you can use those in marketing too. Some of my best marketing is taking a one-star review that's just panning my book and using <laughs> that in advertising and getting a bunch of people interested. I love that. I it is. I have purchased books off of the quality of one-star reviews before. Uh, so I was uh, talking with my wife about... Uh, a book and I was like, yeah, it had this one star review. And I knew after I saw that, I definitely wanted this book because if the right people are hating your book, it can tell the, or, or if the wrong people for your book are hating on your book, it signals to the right people for your book. This is your kind of book. Uh, it's like, <laughs> oh, this, this book was too fast paced. I hated it. You know, something like that. Uh, not that that was what the one star review is or, or, oh, this had too much Christian content. Well, if you're targeting a Christian audience, too much Christian content is like, oh, 
oh, that, that, that makes me interested. <laughs> or, oh, it was too <laughs> steamy of a romance. It was too explicit. And I was like, well, there's a certain kind of person where that kind of one-star review actually makes them more interested, not less, in your book. Um, Chris, we want to hear about some successful uh, relaunches. Uh, but first, we have a featured patron. Uh, Jim, tell us about uh, this week's featured patron. Yes, our featured patron. Thank you so much to Carrie Dawes for supporting us. Her books are called the Embers series. And we're going to give you just a brief description of this. Inspector Cassandra McCarthy never thought she'd be raising her two daughters alone, but her husband's unexpected death forced her to find a career. Now, working beside a retired special ops soldier and veteran fireman, she serves her small North Carolina town, protecting them from hazards they don't understand. She loves what she does, and she trusts God to provide until a hurricane and a series of unexplained fires hits too close to home. So what will it cost Cassandra to protect the citizens of Silver Heights? And there will be a link in the show notes if you want to check out Carrie's book, The Ember Series. Carrie Dawes, we thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And remember, the show notes are now right there in your app. So you just scroll down on Apple Podcasts or swipe uh, to the left or right, and you can click on any of the links that we talk about right on your phone. Okay, so Chris, tell us about some successful book launches you've seen. Okay, so probably the, the number one example I like to do the best is, is somebody who had a successful series um, and was paralyzed in inaction because they didn't want to touch it because they were worried they were going to break it. Um, his name is uh, Rick Gultieri. He writes a series called uh, uh, Bill the Vampire. Um, and it's it's very raunchy, tongue-in-cheek comedy, so, so perhaps not right for, for most of the people listening to this. Um, but if you look past that and you just look at, at what this series did, I, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with Rick. He had covers that were not at all well-branded, so the books were selling okay. And he made something like, I want to say, um, $130,000 over the first two and a half to three years of that series life. So he's making great money. He's afraid to touch anything. But um, myself and a couple other people, we talked with him and, and he decided, okay, I'm going to try to brand these cohesively and see what that does. And all of a sudden, mostly through Facebook advertising, his series took off, um, his income tripled, and, and that series is now sort of his flagship series. And, and Rick has built a career around it because he was willing to make these changes. And all Rick really did was a light edit on the first couple of books because they they weren't uh, up to the quality he would like to see when he had initially published them. And now he had the time and money to kind of clean them up. And then he did these branded covers for all of them. And, and that was really it on top of the ads that he started doing. And all of a sudden, again, tripling his income. So we're talking $350,000 a year he was making from the series. Um, and while it's it's trickling down a little bit, uh, we're two years after the fact and, and Rick is still making great money. Yeah, I, I love the idea of doing a light rewrite of book one in a series uh, because that first book really, you know, if you can sell through the first book, there's a very good chance they're not just going to buy book two, but they're also going to buy books three plus. And typically, especially for authors who are just starting out, that first book is your lowest quality book, and yet it's your most important book <laughs> from when it comes to <laughs> selling and, and branding and selling through the series. And so revisiting that first book and making it as good as it possibly can be um, pays for itself more than editing any other book in the series, right? Because no one's going to read book six until they've read the first five books leading up to it. Right. This especially applies to the first 3,000 to 5,000 words of that book. If you even just do the first couple of chapters, this is people's introduction to your work. This is your business card. And, and if you can't excite them and delight them in the first 3,000 words, 
a lot of people are going to put that book down and look for something else. Yeah, really good point. Thomas and I are fond of saying um, your 300-page book is essentially a huge brochure for your your next books and your uh, all the other books that you're going to come out with. That's a great way of putting it. So what kind of a book is a good candidate for a book relaunch and what kind of books aren't? Say somebody like this gal has 60 books. I mean, where does she start? Is there a vetting process that, that people should go through? Well, the first thing I would ask, like, let's say if I was sitting down with her and she had a, a 60 book backlist, I do do some consulting and I've worked with a few people exactly like that. Um, first, we start looking at what were big hits for her, what performed at the time when it was released and what didn't. And then we start looking for themes. Um, are all these books written in the same genre? And in a perfect world, they are. So, you know, maybe somebody wrote, you know, the same um, clean romance series and it had the same heroine for, for all of it. Um, you know, something very Nancy Drewish. Uh, if that's the case, then you can relaunch the first, like, let's say three books in that series as a test. You do yourself a, a light rewrite on those books. You get yourself, as you can afford them, new covers. Um, you, you workshop your blurbs with your authors, uh, your author friends in the same genre to make sure that your, your marketing copy is decent. And you see how those three books do. And if they do well, then you start releasing them one a month or one every two weeks or whatever your genre ends up supporting until you've caught up your entire backlist. I think that's uh, a lot more effective than trying to republish all 60, especially not knowing how the market's gonna receive these books. You talk a lot about series. I, I'm in a situation where my first three novels, the one I got the rights back to, they're all standalone novels. Do you recommend the same type of strategy for that? Or because it's not like somebody's gonna read and go on and go, oh, I gotta get the next in the series. It's just, oh, I really like Jim's book. I should probably read what else he wrote. Uh, you'll see a certain amount of that if they're in the same genre. So are the books okay. in the same genre? They are, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, then uh, if they weren't, I would say consider splitting one or more of them off into a separate pen name because you you don't want to muddy their branding if you can avoid it. But if they are all in the same genre, then, hey, you're just fine with them um, You know, being standalone books and being marketed as such. Um, it's difficult to get people to read from one book to another if they're not linked directly in a series. You usually are going to see some drop off. But there's some tricks you can do in your back matter to help. So um, if in one of these books, you put a sample of one of the other books, and so each of the three books is a sample for one of the other ones at the end, like let's say just the last five chapters, then people can finish the first book, start looking at you know the next book in the series, and then if they like it, they can immediately go by. So there are some tricks you can do to increase that sell-through. This is a really powerful principle uh, that you can apply uh, even when you're writing books for the first time, is to think about that customer journey. And at the end of the book, what do you want them to do next? Well, you want them to read the next book. And so you want to make that as easy as possible to know uh, what that book is. And it's really surprising how few books have, you know, the first chapter or two of another book by that author. Like that, this is a proven technique. When I was the marketing director uh, for Enclave Publishing, we did this and it worked incredibly well. The back of every book was a commercial for some other book. And we saw it work. And yet so many authors, you know, they have the end and maybe they have their website and a little paragraph of bio and that they're leaving money on the table that could be super powerful if they have multiple books. If you have books that you're giving away, you can get mailing list signups, which in, in my mind are even more valuable than a sale since they often live, lead to multiple sales. So there's there's so much that you can get from a reader just by putting it at the end of your book. Yeah, this is what I like about you, Chris. You're recommending all of the right kind of advice. <laughs> the stuff we've been <laughs> preaching on this show for years. You have it in such a concise way in your books, uh, which for uh, for those of you uh, who are interested, the book Relaunch Your Novel, Breathe Life Into Your Backlist, where he goes through step-by-step step how to do this. There's a link to it 
in the app. Uh, so in the app you're listening to, you can just touch and read the book. Jim and I both bought it. He didn't give us free copies. Uh, I listened to the audiobook because as those of you know who listen to the show, if you want me to read your book, it's got to exist in audio. <laughs> so. and, and I just, I, I, I love the physical book because I just have such a hard time highlighting uh, sections when I'm listening to them. And I do, I like to make notes. And, and here's the other thing about Chris's book that I loved. And I assume his other nonfiction books are this way. And I've actually, um, I'm going to start reading some of his fiction, but I like a book where the author has a voice, has some personality to it. And Chris's book is, is very enjoyable to read simply from a readership standpoint. He's got a good sense of humor, as you can tell from his bio. And, and so I'll, I'll talk about that aspect of it too. It's a very enjoyable read. Uh, Chris, what are some mistakes that you see authors make when they relaunch their books? The number one mistake that I see is lack of preparation. So people will decide, um, I launched a book, it didn't do well. Uh, They won't really take the time to examine why it didn't do well and and to kind of scientifically approach uh, what the problems were so that they can correct them. And instead, they'll throw money at it. So I've seen people that will spend five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 on a relaunch, and they will get themselves a new cover, but they won't have done the research necessary to understand why they're replacing their cover or you know what about the blurb needed to change. So I, I think I would advise uh, caution is probably the best route and try to get a second and third and fourth opinion from other people that have the kind of sales you're after. So if you are a science fiction author, look for the top people in your genre and send them an email. Hey, listen, I'm thinking about doing this relaunch. I know you don't know me. I, would you take two minutes and take a look at this and, and see what you think? And you'd be surprised the number of authors that'll take a minute out of their schedule and write back to you and, and say, yeah, I took a look and I think this. So get the help of experts and, and you'll find, I think, that they'll review your work and find your own problems way, way better than you can. That's really good. And we're doing this now for our patrons in the Q&A episode. Our patrons can send in uh, blurbs and, and titles and we'll give them feedback uh, just real quick. So if you want to hear other people's feedback. Um, but yeah, change for its own sake doesn't do any good, right? Like if you don't know what's broken, uh, you don't know how to fix it. And if you don't know why it's broken and this can be really hard. And I want to go, go back and underscore this one more time, what you said earlier about testing. Uh, walk us through that again, like how, so somebody heard you say, oh, test it on Facebook. How do they do that? Because if, if you take nothing from this episode other than testing your cover on Facebook, it, it could change the amount of money you're making 10x. So, so how do they do that? Dramatically. Um, well, I would start with uh, what's your budget? How much money do you have to get new covers with? And let's say most authors I know are in, in kind of a tough position, so you don't have a ton of cash to work with. Before you sit down and get yourself a new cover, try to find out what is selling currently again, so that you have some idea of where your cover is and, and sort of where it needs to be. Then if you've got a mailing list already, if some people have read this book, shoot an email out to everybody on your list that has read this book and said, hey guys, I'm thinking about doing the cover. Um, what do you guys think I should do? And interestingly, these are the people that are most passionate about your work. They've spent time in your world. They've read your book. And many of them will have some great ideas about what a potential cover could be. And so I'll gather those up into a list and usually I'll get five or 10 ideas from the audience. And I'll either, if I've got a Facebook group set up already and they're part of the group, we'll ask there. And if not, I'll send out a survey um, and we'll have people vote on what they think the best covers are. And, and you could sort of narrow down um, what you can build out of that before you spend any money at all. You've gotten some kind of professional help or, or at least you know crowdsource some help. From there, then it's time to start thinking about how are you going to get your cover made. And if you're on a budget, my best advice to you is to go to a website like deviantart.com. 
um, which is where most artists in the world maintain some sort of profile and start searching for the type of art that is representative of your genre. And you can find people that are pretty new that are not charging an arm and a leg that'll make you very, very high quality artwork that'll fit your needs, um, probably on a budget that you as a new author can afford. That's really good. And so somebody goes to DeviantArt, they've gotten some art, uh, then, then what do they do to test that cover to see if it's working on their audience? Um, you can create several Facebook ads, uh, and I would use different text in that same image for each one of them. So you've got your new you know, cover art. You try to make the most interesting text that you can, maybe the first paragraph of a book for one, uh, maybe something exciting about the plot for the other. Just try a few of them. And then you start plugging in different audiences on Facebook and seeing how they respond to the ad. And what you're going to very quickly get is the cost per click. So if people are not that interested in this image that you're showing them, then it's going to be a very high cost per click, and you're going to turn those ads off. And if you find an audience where it's a very low cost per click, you found people that really like this image. And if you're hitting that audience on, you know, kind of in a way that, that you really want to be, you know that image is working and, and that's your cover. And this this is so good because the temptation is, oh, I'll just survey my readers and see which one they vote for. And that's better than nothing. But the temptation is, is there you go, you end up with a mediocre cover. The, in a survey, the cover you typically want to go with is the one with the most loves and the most hates. So you want, you want five-star reviews and one-star reviews. But people are really terrible at knowing what they want. <laughs> so they tell, like when you survey people, they almost like become a more rational version of themselves when they're filling out the survey. Whereas what you're describing about testing Facebook ads, where you're just testing it on, you know, you write romance, you target romance fans on Facebook, you know, they're either clicking or they're not. And you're able to communicate with their like subconscious id, which is the part of them that's buying that book. <laughs> they're not like rationally evaluating the book, uh, at least not at that initial level when you're, with the cover. Maybe they are, you know, later on during the purchasing process when they're reading reviews. But initially, you've got to connect with them emotionally. And a survey doesn't tell you very well what people are feeling emotionally, but you do get that data with these clicks. And it's really cheap, you know, to look, show your ad to 5,000 people. Sometimes that's only, you know, a dollar or two. It doesn't have to be this big, huge expenditure of funds. Although if funds are an issue, one of the ways you can sort of get around it is try to find groups where that sort of posting is okay, um, that are about the same subject and material. Because if you are in, in any sort of kind of large author group in your genre, you can usually post images and hear from people that are also readers what they think. Um, it's not as good as running an ad to get clicks, but it's free. So, I mean, it is a way that people can get started. That's really good. Uh, what questions should we be asking you right now? Uh, what's your one piece of advice for somebody thinking about launching their book? Um, you know, I, I would go with patience. A lot of people are, are very eager and, and there's this feeling that our industry is moving at light speed. And if you're not at the, you know, the, the cutting, bleeding edge of, of that curve, you're going to be left behind. And I don't think that's the case. You know, take the time it takes to write the best book that you can and take a little time when you're marketing to do your research. And, and maybe you're only running one $2 ad to start with, but just take an action that's going to get you a little bit closer to success than you are today. And, and don't let yourself get overwhelmed. Yeah. One of the things I loved about your, your book, Chris, is you're saying, Hey, I went through this. I experimented. I tried stuff. It didn't work. And then I tried stuff that did work and I wrote down what did work and I did that again. And then I did it better. So it really felt like from reading your book and what you're probably saying to folks is, Hey, this is not going to be overnight. You're going to be selling millions of copies, but if you stick with it, you learn from your mistakes, you continue to be a student of it. You can have a, a high degree of success. 
well said. I'd, I'd just like to say, and we're just about out of time, but Chris, you are my very favorite marketer uh, guru for authors right now in terms of like the person who's writing books on marketing for authors. The good advice per page ratio of your books is the highest. <laughs> I read a lot of books on marketing <laughs> and there are other books that are good. So it's not like you're like the only guru out there, but I feel like you have uh, really, really good advice in your books. And I really encourage people to uh, to read your books uh, and specifically the relaunch your novel um, breathe life into your backlist, which again, we have a link for in the show notes. It's an affiliate link. So you actually helps out a little bit. If you click that link and buy it from us, but you're also welcome to buy it uh, and at your local bookstore. Uh, so Chris, where can people find out more about you in general? Uh, best place to find information about me is at chrisfoxwrites.com. I've got a YouTube channel with a couple hundred videos for authors, um, tutorials, articles, that sort of stuff. And then uh, if you were interested in my books, um, 5,000 Words Per Hour, which is the first nonfiction I did, is available free on my website. And also as well, if you if you want to read some of Chris's fiction, you can go there and you can get uh, one of his, uh, I think it's a, uh, is it a, C, a prequel to one of your novels, Chris? That people yeah, can it's get a, a prequel novella. I've got three of them available. Yeah. So you can get that as well for free. So, you know, the advice we've been exp uh, encouraging you have short stories that kind of kick things off for free to get the email list. If you want to see it done well, go Chris to Chris is doing it. ChrisFoxWriting.com. He actually puts it into practice so you can see it done uh, for his fiction, which is really good. Uh, real quick, we wanted to let you all know uh, this is your last chance if you want to become a patron and get a free copy of the Seven Secrets of Amazing Author websites. Uh, so this is a $25 course that's on the CWI. There. Uh, website and, and network and they are letting us give it away for free but it ends at the end of april so any uh patron level will get you that for free including the two dollar level uh, so to to become a patron of the show and help us bring you more episodes just go to novelmarketing.com and click on the patreon uh, link and uh, we really do appreciate uh, all of you who help bring the show possible and we give you lots of cool bonus uh, bonuses that you can find out about on that site you have been listening to James L. Rubart, Thomas Umstead Jr., and special guest Chris Fox on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.